Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the Elliot Loney podcast. Today, I was joined by my good friend, Neil Cole Hatkar, who also coincidentally happens to be one of the biggest comedians in the country. He has hundreds of thousands of followers across his social media platforms, and he has toured and sold out shows across the land. He's a ripping fella. And I think this podcast is gonna be really interesting for anyone who's interested in comedy, interested in the intricacies behind comedy, or just a big fan of Neil Cole Hat Cars. I know you're gonna love this one. Make sure you subscribe and hit the bell to stay notified every time I go live with a video. I really do appreciate your support and uh, get stuck into it. Cheers. Neil, you enigmatic bastard. What's going on, brother? Good to have you here. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, like that. I like that word, enigmatic. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries, mate. Yeah, I was watching a bit of uh, Shawshank Redemption earlier today, so that, that Morgan Freeman uh, enigmatic word stuck with me, so. Nice. What's the other word you always use when you, when you do Morgan Freeman? Uh, magnanimous. Magnanimous. Truly magnanimous. I love that. Um, mate, how are you shaping up in isolation? What's going on? What's the setup here? You've got, a, you've got a nice little setup in the background here. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is the... This is the pad. This is my apartment here in Sydney. Um, yeah, it's not too bad at the start. It was uh, it was strange just getting used to it, but I think I'm used to it now, to be honest. Like, luckily, I can still do some of my work. I can't do stand up, but um, been pumping out the videos. Um, now restrictions are kind of easing, so we're slowly getting back to normal. So, yeah, look, can't complain too much. Would uh, would really like to get back to normal though. Yeah, absolutely. Is that I see a pen and paper behind you. Is that your joke book by any chance? You've been writing some gags. Oh, yeah, always, man. Always hustling. Um, this was actually a sketch, man. I've been wanting to do this sketch for months, right? It's all about <laughs> so it's it's about Aussie nicknames. And uh, well, I wanted to do it with like some of the boys up here in Sydney, but maybe if I, when I'm in Melbourne, we can do it. So it's all about how Aussies will always uh, give each other a nickname, even if. Even if the it's not a, it's not a convenient nickname, so, <laughs> so true. like uh, you'd think like with a guy if a guy has a first name like Joe he doesn't need a nickname but no that instead they'll just call him by his last name even if his last name's like uh, what have I got Eisenschwitzenhuth so it's just like hey Eisenschwitzenhuth <laughs> hey go, mate and then I'm the idiot in there like why don't, why don't you just call him Joe mate that's just un-Australian you wouldn't do that yeah. so. Yeah. That's that's the premise of the uh the sketch. Still still working on it, but yeah. No, mate. As I said, I I, I always like working with you. I, I, any project that you're spearheading, I love getting around. So I'm sure it'll be great. And yeah, mate. If, you, if this isolation ever ends, um, I'd love to feature in that sketch. But hopefully, it doesn't force us both sure. into retirement. Yeah, I'm sure there'll always there'll be a there'll be a head above water too, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Back from the dead. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that um, as we as we get stuck into the podcast. But before we sure. we um, get get stuck right into the nitty gritty stuff, um, you know, comedy isn't necessarily a career path that a lot of people choose. Um, it's not something that a lot of people aspire to become. Um, and obviously, I know firsthand. Um, so, as a kid, were you always like the class clown? Like, how did you discover comedy? Did you always aspire to be a comedian? From when I was quite young, I, I wanted to be, well, I wanted to be an actor. Uh, it wasn't till I was a teenager that I got into comedy. So I think it was my year six musical or, or um, play. And I didn't even want to audition for it, but I just auditioned for it to try to impress this girl that I liked, to be honest. <laughs> and, and because everyone else auditioning for it was taking it really seriously, you can tell they were really nervous. They didn't 
fully let themselves go when they were when they were singing because it was a musical whereas i just took the piss but because i was confident and i didn't care i actually got the role and then i just i i loved it like that that play it's still on my um youtube channel it's called it's called the monster match is based off that song so how old, how old were you i would have been um 10 or 11 11 i think oh, wow yeah, that is, so, yeah yeah real real young um and then from there, I really loved performing and I, I did a lot of acting classes, a lot of drama classes. I was always doing um, acting after school and stuff like that. And I noticed I was really good at the character acting, good at accents, good at impersonations. Uh, and comedy seemed to be my strength. So I could really portray over the top crazy characters well. So I tried my hand at stand-up comedy. I think I was 15. And so young. I won, yeah, I won a, um, it was like a national competition and I, and I, I was lucky enough to win that. Um, and then from then I just, I, that's when I said, I, I, I can, and I want to do this professionally and that's, haven't looked back. Then. So that's, that's like yeah. fascinating to me because when I was 15, like I was always of the class clown growing up in school, but there is no way in hell that I would have considered doing stand up at 15. So like, how did that even become something that you even considered doing at that age um i just i'm trying to think like i well i really from from like i said from when i did that play when i was in new seats i you know it sounds a bit cliche or whatever but man i just loved it i love being on stage i love performing i love the feeling i got when i was on stage and and the energy and the enthusiasm of a crowd if they really loved it so i just really fell in love with that feeling um so I was a bit of a overachiever in, in drama, but only in drama. Like I was always doing all the extracurricular stuff. Anytime there was like a drama opportunity in school, I would do it. Um, so I just, I just really loved it. And, and because I did so much of it, I was, I was quite good at it. So naturally I was just gonna uh, fall for it even more because I just could see myself getting better at it. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I can't really delve into it too much. I just loved it, I guess. Well, unlike a lot of people, um, me, me actually included in this, uh, yeah. you, you're, you're a very uh, educated guy. You're a very, you're a very smart guy. And I know that. From I act like I am. I don't know if I really am. No, 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 no. This is true for, for people watching who may, might or may or may not know Neil from away from his characters and his sketches and stuff. Um, I've had some conversations with you where your intellect shines through and I know that you were, you're very educated and um, you, you always, uh, I know you excelled in academia and high school and stuff like that. So was there ever a moment when you were growing up where, you know, you were obviously grappling with, um, you know, being quite smart and then doing comedy? Like when you, when you explain to your parents, like I'm going to do comedy now or this is something I want to pursue, did your parents yeah. say, no, Neil, you're a doctor? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> not quite that. They're not, they're not the strictest of Indian parents, thankfully, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I know a few other Indian mates that their parents wouldn't have looked too fondly on their son pursuing a career in the arts. Um, luckily, no, my parents were always really supportive. I always planned to go to uni, so I started doing uni in, in 2013. I, I took a gap year in 2012 and I, I started an economics degree. But even then, I was doing acting and comedy. Well, I was doing uni part-time and then I was going to uh, open mics at night. I was just trying to push for the for the comedy as much as possible. I was posting videos back then, and luckily it it, 
it popped off quite early. So when I was, when I just started uni, that's when the videos started going viral and I started gaining some traction and um, getting an audience. So I thought, look, I'm, I've only just started this degree. I think I'll, uh, I'll put it on hold for now. And it's, and it's still on hold to this day. So <laughs> look, I, I, well, look, I don't, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think you have to be smart to be good at comedy. Yeah. Um, you have to be very perceptive. You have to be able to understand people and not only uh, understand them, but be able to articulate their ideals and their values, but also illustrate that in a comedic way. And I think that's what, well, that's what you do. That's what a lot of us uh, on the internet do with, with our satire and with the characters we portray. So um, it's not as though I'm not flexing, flexing my brain when I'm, uh, no. when I'm writing, the, writing the jokes. Um, and I still read a lot. I, I, try, to, I, I uh, try to listen to as many podcasts as I can. So I don't think it's, a, it's sort of a choice between being really smart and being a comedian. I think, well, I think the best comedians in the world are, are very smart, even if, even if their jokes and their characters uh, might come across as lowbrow or even juvenile. I think it, obviously I'm biased, but I think it uh, takes a lot of brains to be a, to be a good comedian. No, absolutely. And circling back to, to before, because we'll get to all that about how you blew up and, and obviously your numbers on, on YouTube are insane. And you built a really big following off the back of it. Um, but you said that you, you did your first stand-up gig when you were 15. In those really early developmental stages of your career, was there someone that you looked to as a mentor or someone to guide you through, through, that, through the way? Because that, that's, that's tough, man, starting at 15. Like, let's be real. Yeah, I guess... It's almost, um, for me, I would say, because I started so young, I almost felt like there was no pressure at all. So I always knew it was something I was doing on the side. And even the other people I was competing against, if you can call, you know, a comedy showcase, a competition, um, you could tell they had a lot of pressure uh, on them, whether it was from themselves or their peers, but they really wanted to perform. And, and the best comedy comes when you're, when you're relaxed and when you're just being yourself. And, and we'll, you give no fucks. Like that's, that I think produces the best comedy. So in a weird way, I think that actually helped me being really young to the point where I wasn't, would have been disappointed if I didn't do well, but I don't think it would have been the end of, end of the world. Whereas now, because it's my profession and I'm, I'm known as, uh, as a pretty decent comedian, I like to think, um, I actually feel there's sometimes more pressure on me. Um, but going back to whether I had a, an idol or a mentor or anything like that, look, with stand-up, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really have a personal mentor or anything like that. I looked up to guys like Russell Peters when I first started, as, a, as any brown comedian would have. And Chris Rock has always been the guy for me. I, I, I love Chris Rock. I think he's a genius. I still watch his stand-up specials to this day. And every time I watch it, I pick up on something new. And I think that's that's the marker of a, of a really clever comedian, someone who uh, is very subversive with their comedy and the comedy is very multi-layered. So I, I watched it as a 13 year old and I thought, man, this guy's hilarious, so funny. I watch it now and I can't help but notice that like, there's so much thought that goes into all his punchlines and the way it's constructed, the way he delivers it. I, I really, I look up to the guy, that guy more than anyone. I love, man, I love Chris Rock. He's yeah. a genius. Oh, no doubt. I, I love him as well. I think he's an absolute gun. But um, I'm just interested to hear, like, because like, obviously 
going back to like 15 years old, was there, was there someone yeah. who obviously saw you and went, you know what, I, I respect this kid's balls. I'm going to get around him and, and give him a few pointers. You know what I mean? That surely must have happened off stage. Someone comes up, slaps you on the back and says, you know what, Neil? Uh -huh. takes, mate. Okay, there were there were people at that at that competition I did, which uh, it's called Class Clowns, by the way. Any uh, if there's any high school age kids who are interested in getting into comedy in Australia, it's a, it's a good start. Look up Class Clowns, and there were comedians that ran the each stage of the competition, so the heats and the the final, and then the um, national final. And yeah, they were talking to me, and they were saying, "You've got talent," and keep at it and, and they were giving me a little bit of uh, they were giving me some pointers here and there about some of my material I think I got I got a suburb reference wrong in Sydney at one point I think I um I was doing this joke about how um you know the show Bondi Vet I was going through all the different suburbs in Sydney imagine if it was this bad imagine if it was so Bankstown for example is like the broad meadows of, of Sydney I was like imagine that then I was saying imagine if it was like this rich area um, and then I, I said, imagine if we had Bondi bed. And then for some reason, I thought Bondi was a gay area. So the comedian was like, ah, uh, yeah, dude, just so you know, Bondi is not really a gay area. I don't know where you got that from. I, I also, I don't know where I got that from. It's not at all. It's, it's a backpacking area. Um, so yeah, there were guys on the way and, and man, I can't, I can't look past the, the drama teachers I had. They were, uh, they were very enthusiastic about me pursuing um, career in, in acting in the arts. So there wasn't one specific person, but there's just, just a combination of all the teachers and uh, tutors, I suppose, that I, I had throughout, throughout my teenage years, yeah. Yeah. And, like, I know in, in um, well, just in my own experience, when you're starting out as well in, in those uh, real developmental stages, I had a couple of tough gigs where, you know, I yeah. tanked pretty hard. And you go far out. Is this the career for me? Was there ever a moment that you ever doubted yourself, or was from the moment you stepped on stage as a fifteen-year-old, you felt like you had a real knack for it? I, uh, I've definitely had bad gigs, and I had one that one comes to mind. Oh man, this one. So I was at this uh, acting school. Uh, I, it just it was just after I won this competition, and. This was an acting school for all ages. In fact, 15, 16 were probably the, we were the eldest. There were a lot of young kids in primary school and they said, hey, we're, we're having a talent show on the weekend. Why don't you do your comedy act? And I just wasn't thinking at the time. And I thought, yeah, fine, I'll do that. Why not? Doesn't work, man. In a variety show like that, you can't have <laughs> like a fucking five-year-old playing the flute and then a 15-year-old coming out swearing talking about sex jokes and all sorts of stuff the parents were like what the fuck is this i remember i did um it was next to a it was next to a church and uh, i did all this like i thought i was being all edgy i thought i was being ricky gervais or whatever and i did all these like religious jokes as well and i man, i went i i uh, told them to my christian friend at, at, at school the day before and he was like yeah that's fine they're funny i think they're funny but the thing is, it was about, it was, they were all like 70, 80 rolls that came to the Oh, no, that's, that's a disaster. <laughs> got, the, the host had to apologise after I was done. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, to this day, it's probably still the worst gig I've ever done. And I had to perform afterwards to the same people. And thankfully, they were, look, they were pretty forgiving. 
which is good. They're really, uh, they're really enacting their values there. Forgive and forget. Um, but yeah, I, I misread that crowd completely. And yeah, that was brutal. But I don't know, being, being the edgy kind of teenager I was, I was like, mm, they just don't understand me. I'm better than them. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually doubt myself, but that could have been through uh, a bit of ignorance more than anything. Um, that's a great then, yeah, I've always had I've always had bad gigs since then, but that one that one sticks out. Um, I've never looked, man. I've I've been pretty fortunate. Like I've always just had quite a lot of conviction that this was something. Uh, this was what I was. I wouldn't say I was like put on earth to do, but this is definitely what I'm the best at. And I've I've just always thought, even after bad shows and things like that, rather than. Uh, doubting my ability to do comedy, I just doubt the jokes I might have performed. And I, I sort of asked myself, okay, what could I have done better? Can I write better jokes? Um, but no, I've never really, uh, I've never really doubted that this is something I want to do and I want to keep doing. That's excellent to hear, man. And like, you know, it, it must be really great for you to know that you found your calling so early on, because I know that there'd be a lot of people watching this right now, listening to this, who are aspiring comedians listening to your story who probably don't know what they want to do yet might be wanting to get their feet wet dip their toes in the water try comedy so um yeah. you know i guess the message there is just go out there and have a crack you've got to you've got to try it you got you can't be scared you know absolutely yeah yeah just go look over it i i did and and it, and it worked for me and um be versatile uh i was well, well, we, you know, you, me, and, and the guys, we were some of the first comedians to actually utilize the internet. Mm. And now, and now all of them are jumping on board and they, and they yep. criticized us at the start. They sure did. Oh, oh, look at these internet comedians. They're not real comedians. They now sure you've did. got to question them. I mean, are they real comedians? If you're not on the internet, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, just a relic of the past. So, yeah, be versatile. That's a big one. No, that's, that's very true. And I mean, you heard it from Neil now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you are an aspiring comedian and you want to get into comedy, do not listen to those old hat comedians. Get online, get your stuff online and be as versatile as you can on as many mediums as you possibly can. 100%. Um, Absolutely. Now, now, Neil, let's move on because I've got some, I want to move on to the mid stages of your career. And you've, you've, sure. you've got an amazing rap sheet here. Like I'm looking at it right now, you know, millions of views online. Um, one of your most notable videos, Modern Education, fifth, over 15 million views on that video alone on YouTube, which is mental. Um, you know, that's an awesome video, by the way. Go check it out if you haven't already. Uh, I, I actually watched it just before I got you on here. I, I watch it sometimes just because I love watching it. Um, oh, thanks. So Appreciate you've got some impressive videos on there, a lot of subscribers, over 600,000 subs. Like, what is out of all the videos you've done, is there anything that I haven't mentioned, you know, that that stands out to you and you go, I love that. That was really great. Well, the one you mentioned, um, modern education, I can I can't look past that. That's yeah, that's my that's best work to date. Uh, that one, it's a it's a, it's a short film. You know, I, I put a lot of uh, artistic energy into that. It wasn't just a sketch where I was looking to get views or looking to get shares. I was actually trying to say something meaningful in that film. And you know what? When we posted it, I thought, oh look, if this gets ten thousand views, I'd be happy. Honestly, because it's so counterintuitive uh the way the way we structured it as to what traditionally goes well online i mean it's it's the first for the first one minute no one even says a line of dialogue and the traditional thinking is get to the punchlines as fast as you can especially if you're doing comedy grab people's attention but then i woke up the next day and i was like what? 
it says half a million views. What the hell? That's amazing, yeah. And my Even Twitter mentions are blowing up. Yeah. All these, uh, all these. It, it went really big in America to start off with, and suddenly out of nowhere, I, I, I kept refreshing my Twitter mentions, and all these people are tweeting about me, tweeting about the film, and getting all these new subscribers. And the, the, the other good thing about that film is it had it had a second wave in, in 2017, I believe, where all these pages were re-uploading it to Facebook. Oh, awesome. And I just missed the copyright days where you couldn't you couldn't oh. copyright videos back then and I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating this. We, we counted somewhere in like the hundreds of millions of views and most of them didn't credit me. Uh, and look, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Like, I'm just glad that, um, you know, my work reached that many people, to be honest. But well, I'm glad you're not complaining because I sure as fuck would be. That's uh, yeah. Oh, look, I'm, I'm still, uh, I, I still think it's not fair that they didn't at least have <laughs> yeah. but... Yeah, you got to I try to look at the positives. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, trying to be the glass half full kind of guy. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, if you're talking about notable, uh, notable videos and notable work, that yeah, to this day, modern education still is, is, uh, is number one. Um, I'm pretty proud of the stand-up specials I've done. I'm uh, Australian two minutes. Can't look past that. Especially that was, the, the, that was the, the ironing video, wasn't it? That that was the one that set the the precedent. That was the one that set the the stage for Neil Cole Hackcar bursting through it, in Australia definitely did man it um that also it uh, it blew up overnight out of nowhere it just oh, I was refreshing the Facebook and it just was going like three thousand three point five thousand it was just it was insane man and within a week it had a million views and everyone I I never gotten I gotten recognised once or twice with some of my really old uh, cog dog stuff ironically who now I've brought back but. I went out two days after Australian Two Minutes came out and I was in the city, I was doing this open mic gig and everyone's double taking. They're like, is that, is that the guy? That's, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's And I was more starstruck and, and nervous than they were because that was so new to me. I, I, mm. I couldn't believe this was happening. I was just, I just caught a train and half the people at the train station were like, oh my God, bro, are you that, oh bro, let me get a photo. Like, <laughs> It's my, it's my area. <laughs> no, dude, 100%. Like, yeah. to a lesser extent, I've experienced that as well with Man vs. Metro when that first went viral for me. And I know exactly what you're talking about. It's such a surreal feeling when you're, when you're walking out in the street and people know who you are. And they go, is that crazy. the vibe? Is that the... I know exactly what you mean, yeah. man. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and obviously, man, it must have been like... on a crazy scale for you because that video blew up. Like, oh. you wouldn't believe yeah, it happened so, it was so immediate. It happened, it, it quite literally happened overnight. I, and I was still, well, I was 19 or whatever. And, and you'd think being a 19 year old and like getting recognized all the time would be sick. But no, I didn't like, I didn't like going out, man, because it was, I'd go to clubs and things like yeah. that. And, and there must have been a few chicks that would have, uh, would have. Oh, yeah, I'm not, again, like, look at the positives there. There was, there was definitely, um, there's definitely some girls that wouldn't have been interested in, wouldn't have been interested in <laughs> otherwise. Let's just say that. Um, so, yeah, positives and negatives. Uh, hey, I'm sure you look like an Abercrombie and Finch model, mate, with that slick back hair right now. You know what I mean? Oh, what now? Yeah. <laughs> Not much work today, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, uh, I'm digging the long hair and the, and the beard. I think I'm, I'm going for kind of a weird, uh, I don't know, it's like a hipster, but also a cultured King Leonidas with a beard that, and a. I like that. Yeah, bring back that um that samurai. I'm usually got that that samurai look where I've got like a man bun at the top, but 
some hair going down underneath. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not not right now. Now it's just a what is it? Just a ponytail or whatever. But um, it was a it just, look. It was just a weird. It was just a really weird thing to get used to being um, so recognizable everywhere I went. It's uh, crazy. Much more comfortable with it now, and I love it now. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that that many people um, know me and recognize me for what I do. Uh, took a while to get used to it, but no, it's um, I'm very thankful now. No, mate, you deserve the praise. You've worked hard, and um, I think you're a real talent, man. So, so hats off to you, brother. Um, now, now, one of the things uh, I want to talk to you about, and I'm interested to hear your answer to this. What do you think yeah. makes a great comedian in this modern landscape? I'm a great stand-up. Well, I think I think uh, in this modern landscape, probably classifies online. You know, yep. the kind of comedian you are now, modern-day comedian across all platforms, doing stand-up, doing videos. You know, what makes a great comedian? This day. Well, uh, thinking outside the box, being being different, and being really perceptive. Uh, because traditionally, you have to appease. A lot of the people in power so you have to appease the tv producers the late night talk show producers so it's not as though you couldn't be different but you have to i guess uh formulate some of your different you have to sort of stick to certain stick within certain guidelines and certain topics that you could talk about whereas now i think you want to try to do the antithesis of that. You want to try to be the point of difference from the people who are on TV, radio, etc. So just doing, doing things that haven't been, I know it sounds really simple, but being the, the guy or the girl who can appeal to the people who haven't had a comedic voice before. So there's a lot of comedians now that are appealing to niche cultures and to um, smaller groups of people, whereas traditionally it was all about appealing to the masses. And now that's what's going to get you um, the most success, I think. I think someone, I think I was talking to Jordan or, uh, yeah, I think it was Jordan. And he was saying, if you just have a thousand people that are willing to pay $100 every year, whether that's through Patreon, merch, live shows, that's, that's, your, uh, that's your income. Yeah. So you don't need to have this kind of wide mass appeal you don't need to just talk about whatever's trending or whatever's topical or if you do talk about what's trending i think the comedians that are really successful are the ones that have a very unique spin on it so bill burr is the master of that you always know whatever bill burr is going to say no one else has, has said that before no one else has had that take before no one else has had that perspective and i think for the for the younger generation as well that's really important you want to have the videos that no one else has produced before something something different something look you can you can um take uh, inspiration from other people and um take on certain stylistic elements and whatnot but ultimately you gotta you just got people gotta watch your video and, and say oh that's i've never seen that before that's that's what you gotta aim for yeah that, so, is, that innovative sort of uh style yeah yeah, find yeah, your yeah. own style, make it unique. It's a message. Find yeah. your niche and then just own that. Yeah. So you've always, obviously, I've always seen you as just a comedian, a funny guy. Like, I can't really imagine you doing anything else, like you said earlier. But if you weren't doing mm -hmm. comedy, what what would Neil Cole Hackar be doing? Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, I just, I mean, 
I guess it'd be, I'd still be in the arts, hopefully. So I'd be acting maybe or writing or something like that. But if it was just not in that industry at all, while studying economics, I'll probably be doing some uh, office job, uh, working with numbers and in a corporate environment. Oh, well, I had a, I was, uh, I wanted to, I have I no doubt, you're a studious bastard. Like, typical, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Typical, <laughs> typical millennial. I never really liked working for other people, so I always wanted to start a small business or uh, have my own business. And for a while there, I was doing, I was running a, a, a little bit of a, a, a drama school, like drama classes and things like that. So I might still be doing that. Yeah, um, I wasn't aware of that. How long were you doing that for? Probably about. We only stopped it two years ago, actually. So, oh, wow. yeah, six years, six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. yeah so straight after, what, what, even when I was in high school, um, I was teaching, when I was in year 10, 11, 12, I'd, I'd run um, impro improvisation workshops for the year seven and eights in, uh, at lunchtime. So, fuck, you know I was popular, eh? Like, <laughs> not only doing drama, just like spending my lunchtimes teaching kids drama. No, nah, but um, man, see, then, like, like I said, I think it's so cool that you, you identified from a very young age. I love performing. That's what makes me tick. And you just went for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. Yeah. I just knew exactly what I wanted to do from, from a very young age. So yeah, pretty, pretty lucky, man. And, and then I continued that, the teaching, um, after high school and I ran it outside of school, um, charged the kids a little bit and that went really well. So that was like my main job for a while. Um, and then I only really stopped doing it Yeah, Like, well, I'd, I'd sort of get other tutors to teach and, and I'd still manage it with a, with a partner, but, uh, that only stopped. When did that stop? End of 2018. So not long ago at all. Being a comedian from my own experience, there are a lot of times yeah. when you're doing stand up that demand courage more so than I think any other, any other career that, that, that I can think of. Um, so is there any time where you took to the stage where it was just, it just demanded heaps of courage and what was your most courageous moment as a performer? <laughs> oh, that's a, uh, I haven't been asked that before. I like that question. Yeah. So did I actually, I thought that's not a bad mm. one. Well, they say, yeah, the testament, a testament to a really authentic, natural, and passionate comedian is someone who just sticks to their guns and no matter what response they're getting, they just keep going and they're committed to their bit. And hey, honestly, going back to that, what, that gig I did when I was 15, where then no one was laughing. <laughs> I powered through that, man. I kept going. They were not laughing at all. And then I, st I think I even started criticizing them at one point. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a gig, uh, there's gigs in Edinburgh that were pretty rough because, uh, a lot of, especially early on in my career, a lot of my comedy relied on, uh, uh Australianisms and Australian humor and Australian references. So, um, I had to take all of that out, obviously, when I go to Scotland and rely on some of my, you know, B, C, even D grade material. And there were some nights where I was just getting nothing from the crowd, but, yeah, you just got to keep, you, you got to keep going, got to keep powering through. Um, I can't look, man. I can't, when I did, when I've done the Enmore Theatre, um, so that, man, it's so it's amazing that I've been able to do it, but. Yeah, how many been, seats is this? You know, it's, a, it's a big theatre, that one. Yeah, I've, I've, I had, I was performing to, I think, 1,300, 1,400 wow. people, man. It was 
campaign. So I guess the pressure's on there. Um, you can't you can't fuck that one up. And no. done three shows there. The first one, I was so nervous. And look, it was a good show. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't disappointed with it, but I, I know I can do better than that. I was just super nervous. But then the next two after that, and I did one last year as well, they've been, they've been fantastic. They've How been do you deal with the nerves? How do you deal? Because, like, man, that's something that I think a lot of comedians... A couple of drinks. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> What's that? A couple of drinks. That actually, the, well, <laughs> I find, like, two drinks is good, man. If you do any more than that, then you're not as sharp and... If you have, you know, if you have too many, you don't want to be slurring but, your words or anything. Like I mean, that, that's but. not a very healthy way of doing it. You, surely you no, don't drink yeah. every time. So, no, like, no, no, not at all. No. What's what's yeah. what's a what's a what's a method that you use to cope with the nerves when you when you obviously can't turn to alcohol? What do you do to to? So uh, there's a few things I do, man. Like there's a usually a, a, with a big show like that, I I plan the whole day, so I try to be as relaxed as I possibly can throughout the day. Don't, I try not to have anything else on, no filming, nothing, just pure relaxation. Like whatever it is that puts me in a good mood, you know, watching my favorite TV shows, watching, I'll even watch Chris Rock uh, sometimes before a show. Do you rehearse, do you rehearse your set? Do you ever go over your set at all? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I try to be as um, well rehearsed as, as I possibly, you don't want it, 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 it shouldn't be a, you know, a, an, an acting rehearsal or anything like that you should still be able to work with the crowd and, and change a few points of the delivery here and there but ultimately yeah. you've got to know your material um i'll even try to maybe have like a i won't go too heavy on the workout before but like a light jog or um just like a few few little uh reps of something here and there just to get you know just to get some energy in and um get the get the blood pumping a little bit so there's a few strategies. It's not really one one particular thing that I do. Um, yeah, look, look, man. This is at the end of the day, a little bit of nerves can be a good thing because you kind of want that nervous energy, you know. Well, um, yeah, but it's it's funny hearing me hearing you say that because one of the things I've observed in your comedy, and it's something that I've always thought that you're really great at, is you you do seem so relaxed up there, and I've never really seen you panic or seem like you're panicking or like you know, like observing you on stage, you, you look really calm. And so that's, it's, it's interesting for me to hear you say that. Oh, you, you never come across like that. And I, I've been wanting to ask that question for a while because I was like, far out. Like, how does he, how does he do it? You know what I mean? I appreciate that. Yeah. A lot of people, man, I'm, I'm, a lot of people say that, but a lot of times in my, in my head, I, I might be feeling quite nervous or uh, feeling even a bit underprepared, but, as long as you give off the perception that if you are at that stage where you still, if you've done everything you can, and you're still feeling a bit nervous, then you still got to give off the perception that you're enjoying yourself because it's weird. Like when I'm doing, when we're doing comedy gigs, we're going to work. That's our workplace. Whereas everyone else is going there to have fun. So you got to get on that level. You got to be for work. You got to be having fun. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's really what you've got to be doing. So you, yeah. You got to be in a mindset of I'm just here to enjoy myself because if you're enjoying yourself, then the audience that comes through uh, from your performance, the audience starts to enjoy themselves. I, I definitely look for if there's shows where um, you know I have to catch a long flight beforehand or I've had to do a lot of filming during the day. Usually, not always, but usually, yeah, you you, you never perform at optimal level that night. Uh, having said that, there's sometimes it's just things you have to do. But like, especially if I've got a show in Perth, because it's such a long flight and usually you get to Perth and it's like, boom, rush to the venue, 
do your sound check, you're performing, that's it. So sometimes those kind of shows, it's hard to really be at yeah. your at your best. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you, you, if you're if you're professional about it, you still got to, you know, people have come to pay to see. You still got to you still got to make sure you give them a good product. And um, look, you're never going to do a hundred percent perfect show. There's always going to be uh, a few. There might even be a few slips here and there. But it's uh, as long as you recover and and still give them their money's worth, that's uh, then then you've done the job. So it's, yeah, like I said, it's a job in the end. You got to you got to just you got to do the job. It is. And one of the things about this job that I've found, and I'm sure judging by a lot of the sketches that you've done that have performed so well online, like modern education and some of the others, they do focus around political correctness and political correctness has become a massive problem, I think. And it's a plague yeah. across the world. So one, one question I think might be a little bit left of center, but I am curious because you do tour so much, you do so many gigs. Um, has yeah. there ever been someone that's come up to you after a show where their dukes up, like almost ready to throw down because of something that you've said on stage has offended them so deeply that they're actually looking for blood? Has that ever happened? Uh, once, it wasn't after a show, but a guy, I was just walking down the street here in Sydney and a guy, well, this is a funny story, right? He did a double take and he kept looking at me and I thought he'd recognise me because he kept looking at me. So I just, I kind of like smiled at him and I was like, Hey bro, um, and he looked like he was lifting all these boxes. Well, he was—he was lifting all these boxes and he was looking at me. And I was—he looked like they looked like pretty heavy boxes and stuff. So I was like, "Hey, uh, do you do you need any help?" And he's like, "No, nah, I'm good, bro." And and then um, he, I think he said something like, "You good? You good?" or something like that. And I was like, "Yeah." Bro. And <laughs> this is the funny bit, bro. Whenever <laughs> often because I do all the like ethnic impressions and stuff, what happens when people recognize me is. They'll be like, oh, it's that guy, fuck him. Where you look at that, bro? I'll fucking smash you. And then I say it back to them. You know, I, I just yeah. say, what are you looking at, bro? When he's like, you good, bro. I fully thought he was just impersonating my character. <laughs> and I go back, I'm not making this up. I was like, oh, you good, bro? <laughs> and like, he dropped the box and he's like, you want to fucking bone me right now? Like, you fucking bone. Like, and. and I still couldn't tell if he was joking or not. I was still like, uh, yeah, like I, I couldn't tell if he was if he was impersonating my characters or not. And then I think it hit me like, oh, no, wait a minute, this guy actually wants to fight you. And I, look, I wasn't ready for that. I just um, I looked at him a bit confused, and I I kept walking. And then later on, because um, I went to the gym, and then I came out, and he was still there. And then I was like, all right, well, let's. I was walking towards him and I was like, oh, look, I'm not going to avoid him. I want to see what he has to say. And yeah, it turned out he, he did recognize me, but he just hated my um, one particular joke I did and was uh, having a go at me being saying I was racist and all sorts of things. And I was trying to have a, well, I was trying to have a, like a debate with him, but he was so convinced that my intention was to mock um, certain races that I couldn't really have a, <laughs> a discussion with someone like that. And, yeah, that was that was bizarre, man. That was um, it's never happened again. So thankfully, um, but after a show, no, I've never had anyone. I've had some people say, "Oh, I didn't like that joke. I didn't like this," and I'm like, "Well, fuck you, do it then." Like, I'm the fucking yeah. guy who's been doing this for years. What are you? you I wouldn't yeah. tell you to do your job. Like, man, it's break. so true, and it's something that I find with comedy in particular. And it's like, you wouldn't tell an accountant how to do their job. You wouldn't go and tell a lawyer no. how to do their job. But yet every man and their dog will come up to you and 
feel that they have a right to tell you how to tell jokes or what you need to do as a performer. And I just think it's like, if you haven't done it, why would I listen to you? It's, it's pretty frustrating, hey? I mean, mm. like you said, that's the perfect analogy. You would not do that to any... No other job would you do that to. Yeah. No other job. That some, you know, everyone's, oh, comedians shouldn't say this. Comedians shouldn't talk about this. They shouldn't... Like, well, go and do it then. Like, <laughs> do what we do, you know? It's uh, yeah, pretty frustrating for whatever no, reason. Absolutely. Um, do that. Something that interests me about some of your work that I've seen throughout the years is... Um, you really are like a prolific writer. And I mean that because what I mean by that is like the sketches that you write, the ones that have popped off and performed really well online have been really well written. Like I've watched, I've watched modern education a hundred times. And when I look at it and I, I look at the beats and I break it down as a script, it's so well written there. And I'm like, what's, what's your process when you're writing a script? Like, what do you actually do to get yourself in the mindset? Do you, have you done lessons or do you, is it just like, where's it come from? What, where's the inspiration come from? How do you sit down, break down a script? What do you do? Man, first of all, thank you. That, that means a lot. Um, but that particular script, there was a long process. I took, I took weeks. I, it could have even been months to write that one. I mean, I was working on other things at the same time, but I was doing draft after draft. I know my process with that was I wanted to say something about this particular ideology that had become more pervasive, particularly in, in the arts. That's why it was so personal to me because that ideology in, in Australian arts as well is, is everywhere. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't just want to be simple with the way I criticize this. I want to, I want to delve into this as deeply as I possibly can really cover every angle as succinctly, precisely, and effectively as possible. So it was a it was a matter of um, just refining it. Every single draft, refine it, refine. I mean, there were probably about 30, 40 drafts in the end. It was a lot. <laughs> I was actually looking at my laptop the other day, like, yeah, draft 1.1, 1.2, and then it, it, I think it got up to like 7.4 before I was finally, okay, this is the one, I'm ready to film it now. Uh, I mean, even little like words here and there, that one, I just, so it was just a process. It was just, well, it was work. I mean, I, I just put a lot of, I put a lot of work into that one. And I, I, I just, I really, I put all of my mental energy towards it and, and, and thought about it as much as I possibly can. So I guess that's the pro really, there's not, there's not any, there's not any real secret other than just working on it as much as possible and, mm. and really refining it as acutely as, as possible. Yeah. Well, I'm interested because you said that you, you, you spent so much time on that particular sketch and obviously it shows, it, it, you know, it was worth every, every second. Are there other sketches that you you'd spend just as much time on that you think this is going to go off, this is going to go off and then you release it and it doesn't perform as well as you anticipated? Yeah, there are some that I would have spent the same uh, time and effort on and, and didn't perform as well as that one day. I think that one, that one, uh, it hit the right note. You know, it was the right time and I, I, a lot of things came together. I mean, the culture was just getting to a point, it was reaching a precipice. And now, I mean, for even to this day, I mean, in the last three years in particular, I mean, every comedian's got something to say about that 
given I will we'll call it political correctness, but then there's been political correctness in the past as well. It's just come from different sides, but we'll call it political correctness. Now everyone's um, got something to say about that, but but then um, people had things to say about it, but not not in not from the particular angle I think I was coming from. So I think there were a lot of factors at play that that led to the success of that film. Um, and don't get me wrong, sometimes things just work, sometimes they don't, a vision comes together with the script and, the, and then the, there's so many factors, the editing, the production, the direction, all sorts of things like that. Most of those short films I put a lot of, put quite a bit of effort into and um, some of them, a lot of them still performed really well. None of them reached the same heights as modern education. Uh, I worked on a series last year, Crossing the Line, I put quite a bit of effort into that one. Um, didn't go as well as I would have liked. It still went pretty well. I'm not gonna, not gonna complain too much about that one. Um, and my stand-up, like my stand-up, I put a lot of effort into as well. Um, some of the sketches I I write in a day. Some of them it takes weeks. It, it, some of them I'll write in an hour even. It just it really just depends. So Neil, like uh, looking forwards um, for the rest of, rest of your life. Is, is comedy yeah. something that you're going to consider yourself doing indefinitely or do you think there might be a career change on the cards down the track into acting or some other field? Right now, I, I can't see myself stopping comedy. Um, luckily with comedy, it's, it's something you can do concurrently with other things. So a lot of comedians will, will act, will write, some even have businesses, do podcasts, all sorts of things. So I can't see myself stopping stand-up period like I don't I don't think I ever will really as long as I can get on stage and talk um as for the uh change career or if there's anything else I, I really want to do right now I'm pretty happy where I am I want to do more acting roles I'd love to do I'd love to even do some serious acting roles to be honest I'd love to try my hand at that make a feature film one day or at least be part of a really big feature film um I'd love to have a big comedy special on, well, I mean, there's, there's so many comedians on Netflix now, so it's lost the, the glamour, but I'd still love to get one up there. That'd be, that'd be a, a great dream to, to achieve. Yeah. Um, and then, but in terms of just like completely other career, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty content and, and well, happy where, where I am now. So you touched honest, on earlier no, about um, you're a bit of a philanthropist at heart. Like if you weren't doing comedy, maybe you would, you know, have your own business or, or be the boss of something and, or create something. Is, could that be on the cards? Could we, could we see a new, a new tech startup from Neil Cole Hackcar in, in years to come? I don't know, man. Look, never say never. I, uh, I like to change things up. So even with my comedy and with my style, like, I'm always experimenting with, with, with new things and new um, structures with my videos, new styles. So I, I like to do different things in my life. So look, maybe, I, I don't know specifically a tech startup or something I'd, I'd do, never know. Um, I, 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 yeah, look, you, you'll, you'll see different things from me, but I, I don't know if it'll ever be outside of the realm of uh, comedy and, and the arts. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, it's what I'm the best at and, and look, maybe if I can, I don't know, I run a, a small production company or uh, something like that where I, yeah, I can give back and be a bit of a philanthropist. I wouldn't, wouldn't mind doing something like that. Um, 
I think that would be uh, that would be more of a long term goal. Right now, I'm I'm quite focused on just continuing to get better at stand up. And I think with stand up, we're we're all quite lucky. Usually, stand up comedians have a pretty long shelf life. Um, even singers and bands, they often by the time they're in their 40s and 50s, usually they've been at their peak. Whereas comedians can sometimes be reaching their peak at their their 50s. Yeah. So it's a great career in terms of careers in the arts. It's, it's one of the best in terms of longevity. So, in fact, I think the best comedians are older because they've had more life experience. They've been able to perfect the craft, and it's not as though age impedes your ability to to perform stand up. I mean, unless we get to the point where you're really starting to get very old. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I mean, look, George Carlin in his last specials, he was visibly uh, old, but he still they're still some of his most revered. So, look, man, I I, uh, I hope I'm I'm uh, in another fifty years. I'm still doing stand up. I would really uh, I'd really like that. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. And hopefully the PC uh, police don't uh, ruin our, crush our dreams, mate, because it's uh, it's getting a bit out of hand, isn't it? Uh, so it is. It is. But you know what? The thing is, uh, every every ten twenty years, there's always new social taboos so in the 70s and 80s you couldn't you could barely do sex jokes you couldn't swear whereas now that's fine but certain topics about race and, and gender might be off limits i'm sure in another 20 30 years there'll be something else and the good comedians will always always find a way to still um deliver the jokes they want to deliver and to say what they want to say so yeah, it's frustrating at the moment, don't get me wrong. I think I think it's actually improved over the last two years. I think around 2016, 17, 18, that was the real peak. And now things have eased up. I mean, looking at some of the content on TikTok, these are, these are teenagers and they've got some pretty dark humour. They have some crude jokes and I love it, to be honest. Um, I'm so happy that the next generation kind of holding to the... To the morally pure puritanical standards of generations of yesteryear so i'm 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 optimistic however yes there can be some pretty frustrating times with the current climate of political yeah. correctness well neil uh i don't want to take up too much more of your time because i know you're a busy man and i really appreciate you coming on the potty um i just want to say thanks for coming <laughs> on man um you know like uh out of all the comedians and stuff that I met, you know, I think we, we've always got along really well and I've got a lot of respect for what you do and, and, and um, the way you perform and, and how, how big your platform is and what you've been able to do. So at any time you want to come on, have a chat, I'd, I'd love to have you. And uh, yeah, man, I'm always going to be in your corner. So best of luck with everything moving forward. Man, that means, that means a lot, man. I've, uh, I think I still remember, you know, I was watching you before I got big and, and I always loved your videos. So um, keep at it, man. And, and, I've always looked up to you, even so. Appreciate <laughs> you having me on your uh, on your on your podcast, and uh, thanks, look forward man. to doing some more in the future. Yeah, no, and and likewise, man. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have another chat again soon. Love to have you on. Wait, looking forward to it. All right, brother. All the best.
Thanks for tuning in, guys. We've got some big guests lined up for the coming weeks. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, some other huge athletes and comedians that I don't want to uh, reveal just yet. I want to save some suspense, but uh, I really do appreciate your support. Um, I'm really looking forward to interviewing some of these big names and uh, really do make sure you, you hit the bell and subscribe to my YouTube channel to make sure that you are notified every time I release a video. Thank you for your continued support, and I'll see you soon with more podcasts and more gags. Cheers.